And then he steals the blessing. Right? Uh, mom sets him up to it. Mom's involved in cahoots with him. Uh, <clears throat> Jacob is mom's favorite boy. Uh, she wants him around her and she wants him to have the blessing. And so she sets it up and they scheme together and he gets the blessing. But you know what? The blessing he gets is not much of a blessing. Because what we're going to find in this next chapter is he has to go on the run. Because Esau says, well, dad's nearly about to die. He's about to croak it. And you know what? As soon as he does... I am going to kill my screaming, my scheming brother. I am going to finish. So, so there's, there's pandemonium in the home, and um, <clears throat> for his safety, Jacob is sent off, and Rebecca never sees him again. You know what? Our scheming really doesn't work. It doesn't pay the dividends that we wanted to pay at all. Uh, <clears throat> all of this was, was, was in hand by God and could have been uh, in hand by God, but... Uh, <clears throat> They couldn't leave it there. They had to actually take control of it. And when we take control of it and try and play God, like we were looking at this morning, it's always a disaster. I said, it's a word of prayer, and then we'll begin to read, and we'll tease our way through the chapter. Father, would you bless us and help us as we look to you tonight? Lord, teach us from your word. Show us uh, your face and your power and your might. And Lord, may we see you glorious in all of it. In Jesus' name, amen. And Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said unto him, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to, go, go to Padanaram, uh, to the house of Bethuel, thy mother's father, and take thee a wife from thence of the daughters of Laban, thy mother's brother. And God Almighty bless thee and make thee fruitful and multiply thee that thou mayest be a multitude of people and give thee the blessing of Abraham to thee and give the blessing of Abraham to thee and to thy seed with thee and thou mayest inherit the land wherein thou art a stranger which God gave unto Abraham. Right? So <clears throat> the promise has been passed on to, to, to Jacob and Isaac at least has reconciled it at this stage. He was tricked as far as the blessing is concerned but God had promised that it would be Jacob uh, that would carry it anyway a long time ago. And he has reconciled himself to it, so he blesses him as he goes. He's not deceived into blessing him this time. This is, this is the real thing. Uh, he's blessing him as he goes. Uh, verse 5, And Isaac sent away Jacob, and he went to Bedanaram unto Laban, son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob, and Esau's mother. All right, so he, he, here we have Jacob, and he's been in the center of the family. He's been around the home all the time. He's a mammy's boy, uh, some of the commentators say. Uh, he was there with mammy. But you know what? All of a sudden, he is thrust out on his own. Now, it looks like a disaster. You know, because here he is, and, and you know, he's the, he's the child of promise. He was supposed to inherit the land, and now he's leaving the land. Now he's leaving the land. And that which Abraham said was not to happen to Isaac. Isaac was not to be taking, taken back uh, <clears throat> to Ur. Uh, he, that's happening for Jacob. And it looks like a, uh, <clears throat> like, a, like, like a mess. And humanly speaking, it is a mess. But you know what God has done with the mess? God has taken the mess and work the mess, and he's going to use the mess for blessing. That's what God is going to do. That's what God always does. All things work together for good to them that love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Even the mess that people do by, <clears throat> by wrongdoing. God takes those things and works them. He's got a plan. He's going to take this young man, and he's going to birth a nation from him, and he's going to do it in spite of the fact that, <clears throat> that, that Jacob is, a, is, is, is in sorry shape. Uh, spiritually, he's going to take and he's going to do it anyway. God can do anything. God's plans are never, uh, and God never, God, God never sits in heaven moaning over the decisions we've made that have wrecked his plans. He knew we were going to mess the plan up, and what he's done is he's turned the whole thing around anyway and incorporated the mess 
as part of the plan. Now, it doesn't mean you should take pleasure in messing things up, but do understand this, that God's plans won't be uh, perverted. He will ultimately get all that he wants to get. Now, as far as Jacob is concerned, one of the blessings is going to happen right now. Jacob is alone at last. You know what? If you're a schemer and a twister and a trickster, you have to have somebody to scheme against and twist and trick. And there's nobody now. There's just Jacob right now. Jacob alone, no mammy to protect him, nobody to scheme against and trick, just Jacob on his own. And that seems oftentimes to us like a disaster, doesn't it? We can imagine Rebecca uh, looking at the situation and, uh, and thinking how awful this is. Here he is, uh, he's, he's on his own, he's out there on his own, with no one to protect him and no one to look after him. We can imagine her <clears throat> feeling, feeling the awful pain of this. But this is exactly what needed to happen in this guy's life. He needs to be on his own, because God's going to meet with him on his own. Do you know what God always meets with us when we're on our own? Oftentimes as parents we stand in the way uh, protecting our kids and looking after them uh, and watching over them and preventing them from being on their own and God says, no, that's the best thing for them. Just just let them alone with me. I'll take care of the situation. I will deal with it. You know, so we need to be careful that, 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 you know, that we don't take that one on board too much. God, God, God's able to take care of the situation. He's going to deal uh, <clears throat> with Jacob. Okay, verse 6. When Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and then sent him away to Badanaram to take him a wife from thence, uh, and that as he blessed him, he gave him charge, saying, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan, and that Jacob obeyed his father and his mother uh, <clears throat> and was gone to Badanaram. And Esau, seeing that the daughters of Canaan pleased not Isaac his father, then went Esau unto Ishmael and took unto the wives which he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, and Abraham's son, uh, <clears throat> the sister of and Nebajot to be his wife. So he goes and takes another wife, and he takes a wife of the Canaanites. Now, <clears throat> let's, let's kind of uh, unravel this a little bit. First of all, the bitterness that Hebrews talks about in Hebrews 11, that in Hebrews 11 talks about in Jacob's life is here now, or Hebrews 12. It's here. <clears throat> it's full-blown. And he's, he's, he's bitter. He's bitter against Jacob. He wants to kill him. Right? But he's bitter against his father and mother too. And here's what he says, okay, all right, so that bothers them. Wives of, my Canaanite wives bother them? Okay, well, I'll tell you what we'll do. Uh, what we'll do is we'll go and take some more. <clears throat> and that's what he does. He goes and he takes a wife. Now, he takes a wife of the, <clears throat> of, of, of the Canaanites, and he ta- does for this purpose, just to annoy them. Right, now, can you imagine that, ladies? Getting married to a man, and him saying to you, well, the only reason I married you was to annoy my father. Because that's literally what happens here. I mean, bitterness twists you. Bitterness really twists you. You do things that are really foolish when you're bitter. You know, here he is, he's married to a woman, and he's not married to the woman because he likes her. He's not married to the woman because he wanted to be married to her. He's married to the woman for the simple reason he just wants it to annoy his parents. They did me wrong. They gave the blessing to the other guy. Well, I'll tell you what, I will get even with them. I'll do something that will, that will bother them. And that's what bitterness does to us. It makes us do things that are really not convenient, and not a good idea, that are not helpful to us, right? <clears throat> and um, so he takes a wife just, just to annoy his parents, right? And Jacob, went, sorry, and Jacob went out from Beersheba and went towards Haran. And he lighted upon a certain place, and he tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took 
of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay down in that place to sleep, right? <clears throat> so now he's out on his own. He's some 48 miles from home here. And maybe one, maybe two days he's traveled, but he's completely on his own. And <clears throat> he comes to a place and he sets up some stones for his pillow. Uh, for that night, he's going to rest that night and then move on. Uh, I imagine at this stage he's living in fear. He's living in fear, obviously, of Esau. He's living in fear of everybody. He's on his own. He's in a very vulnerable place at this point. And that's just where God wants him to be. That's just where God needs him to be. God wants him to be in the place where he's vulnerable and afraid so that God can deal with him. We do remember that one. That sometimes when we're vulnerable and afraid, that's exactly where God wants us to be. Because then we depend upon Him. Wouldn't it be nice to think that we depended upon God the most when God was blessing us the most? But it's not true. We depend upon God most when we're in difficult circumstances. When things are tight and things are straight and things are, are, are bad. And that's where Jacob is. Jacob's in a place now where he's on his own. In verse 12, And he dreamed... And behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. Now, <clears throat> what it's talking about here is, uh, as he dreamed, what he saw was, he saw a ladder going up to heaven. It could have been a mountain. It could have been a ladder. We're not sure. All it says is that it was a ladder. But something going up to mountain, uh, a mountain, a ladder going up to heaven, and there are angels going back and forth. Right? And what it is, is a picture of the connection between heaven and earth. By the way, if we take it into the New Testament, the latter is Jesus, the connection between heaven and earth, right? <clears throat> but w w what they've got here is they've got this ladder going back and forth, the angels coming back and forth. And you know, <clears throat> that although Jacob was born into the most spiritually blessed family possibly that has ever been, he's never really considered God up to this point. He's never made any connection with God up to this point. It's kind of a surprise to him that what you've got going on here is you've got, um, <clears throat> you, you've got this other world going back and forth and back and forth. Uh, and and so, so he encounters God's world for the first time. Here is he dreams. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father and the God of Isaac, the land wherein thou liest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed. Now, what God's going to do for him here is he's going to renew the promise that he gave to Abraham. Right, now think with me for a second. <clears throat> Let's read the promise, and then we'll talk about it a bit, right? Uh, <clears throat> and, the, and thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south, and in thee... And in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again unto this land, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. Right? So God renews the promises that he made to Abraham to Jacob. Now, I understand God giving Abraham promises, right? Abraham was a good guy. Abraham wasn't perfect, but he was a good guy. Abraham was somebody that God could depend upon, that God could, uh, that God could expect to raise his family and do things right. Abraham was, was a man that could carry the promise, we might say. But Jacob? So far, he's proved himself to be an out-and-out -out scoundrel. Even his own family can't trust him. So far, all Jacob has done is proven, you know, listen, the, the, the one thing you can do is you can depend upon Jacob to be undependable. 
Now, why is God giving him promises? Simply because God had a plan. Notice here that God's not asking anything of Jacob. God made a promise to Abraham, and it was an unconditional promise. I will do, and I will do, and I will do. And and he's making the same promise to Jacob because God has a plan, something he's going to work out. This is an unconditional covenant, an unconditional uh, promise. God's going to do for Jacob what he said he will do. And he's going to carry that on in spite of the fact that, you know what, we're going to meet some dreadful characters uh, in his uh, his line. But God's going to still do what he said he will do because it's an unconditional covenant. Now, in the Bible, there are unconditional covenants and there are conditional covenants. The nation of Israel were promised blessing if they obeyed. And they were promised cursing if they didn't. God lays it out for them in the book of Deuteronomy. You know, there, there, there are certain promises in the Bible where, where, where we're promised good things if we do certain things. You know, Matthew 6.33 is a conditional promise. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You can't depend upon that promise if you're not going to seek God first. Because it's a conditional promise. Salvation is an unconditional promise. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Salvation is unconditional. It's based upon belief. I trust. I depend upon him. And it's an unconditional promise. Right? There's nothing more expected of me. Now, we need to be very careful that we don't adulterate the gospel by making it a conditional promise. Right? Did God say, I will save you if you repent and if you make me Lord of your life and if you continue to do right all through your life? No, he didn't. Aren't you glad he didn't? Because there wouldn't be many people saved. There wouldn't be many people going to heaven. No, God said... Based upon what my son has done on the cross, I will save you if you believe. And now, there's a frustration at large because really in our day and age, Christianity is a low level in terms of holiness. And that's realistic. You've got people who are saved or claim to be saved and they're living, you know, living life like dogs. You know, and you know, what you want to do is, humanly speaking, you want to take the salvation off them and say to them, you're not saved. Because what that does for us, that makes us feel, you know, it's worth something. But, no, the the promise is to all who believe. Now, in all honesty, I don't know who's believed and who's not believed. I don't know who's saved and who's not saved. That's something the Spirit of God bears witness with your spirit uh, that you're saved. You know, I I can't look at you and say you're saved. You can't look at somebody else and say they're definitely saved. Be careful uh, of doing that. All who believe are saved. But it's not conditional upon how they live. Now, I think definitely when somebody gets saved, they ought to live right. I think that's, that's normal. That's natural. But you know what? The normal and the natural doesn't always happen. And probably you look around this room, what you find is you find people who at one point in their lives uh, did not live like they were saved, although they were saved. You know, didn't, li- didn't live like that, didn't, didn't look like that even though they were saved. You see, it's an unconditional promise. God says, I will do this thing if you believe. That's it. Nothing else. So all that you bring to the table is you say, yes, please. 
in salvation. The Spirit of God brings conviction. You say, yes, I want it. And God does the rest. Don't ever complicate that one. I understand why people want to complicate it. I understand why people want to make it something uh, harsher and um, something with more conditions attached to it. But when you add conditions to it, it becomes another gospel. And Paul said, though we or anybody else preach preach another gospel, let him be accursed. It's another gospel. The gospel is plain and simple. Jesus Christ died for your sins. You're a sinner. You deserve hell. But Jesus Christ died for your sins. And if you believe on him, he will save you. It's as simple as that. Somebody genuinely believes they're saved. There's a reality of God, the Holy Spirit, working in the situation. But don't make it complicated. Don't make it difficult. That's an unconditional promise. This promise to Jacob is unconditional. It doesn't doesn't account for the spiritual condition Jacob is in at the time. He's on the run because he's just left home because he tricked his brother out of the birthright first and then then he deceived his father into giving him the blessing. He's not a worthy candidate for any blessing. But that doesn't matter. Because this promise is unconditional. And Jacob has it anyway, even though he has not earned a lick of it. Jacob is important to what God is going to do. God has planned, has known this is going to happen, and he's blessing him anyway. Now, I want you to read again in verse, verse 15 with me. And behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. So God said, I'm going to do what I said I will do, and I will take care of you. Jacob, you're on the run now. These are terrifying days in your life, I understand. But I'm with you. I am going to take care of you. I am going to look after you, and I'm going to bring you again to this place, because I'm not going to finish until I I finish what I said I would do. God had a plan. He was going to fulfill it, even though Jacob was a rotten candidate for it. So understand that God, the moment you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you were saved. You may not always have lived up to that. You may not always live up to that in the future. But the transaction was done the moment you believed. Eternal life was granted. The Holy Spirit came in to dwell. And he's not leaving. It's done. Now, please don't take that as license to do what you like. That would be foolishness on your part. And bring bad stuff in on top of you. But understand this, that even if you do wrong, God is still going to save you. He deals with you completely different when you do right and live his way. But even if you do wrong, he still has saved you because that's what he said he would do. And he never breaks a promise. My salvation is based upon the promises of God. It is not based upon my prayer. It is not based upon how I felt the moment I got saved. It is not based upon how I have lived since I got saved. My salvation is based upon the promise of God. When I get into heaven, I will get into heaven by mercy because Jesus Christ paid the price for my sin, and all I did was believe. Say yes, please. Okay, so now let's let's move on here. Now, but Jacob does something different. In fact, this is the first covenant in the Bible that a man makes with God, which you wouldn't really expect. 
When God gave Abraham the promises, Abraham said, thank you very much. But he didn't make a covenant himself. None was asked of him and none was given. <clears throat> Isaac doesn't make a covenant, but Jacob does. Jacob says, okay, all right. If you're going to do that, then I'm going to do this. Now, some people look at, <clears throat> at Jacob's promise, and you could look at it this way. It would be reasonable to look at it. He's afraid. He's very afraid. And so <clears throat> he's trying to, he's, he, what he's doing is he's trying to make a deal with God. He's trying to strike a deal with God. God's given him an unconditional promise, but Jacob never did anything unconditional in his life. And so he's saying, now hang on a minute. Okay, this all sounds very good, but I want to lock this deal down. I want to seal the deal. And that's, that, that, that's possible. Right? That, that's what he's doing. But, but here's the thing. He did it. He actually made a covenant. Now, we're going to spend the rest of our time here teasing through this covenant that Jacob makes with God. And Jacob awaked out of his sleep, and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And he was afraid, and said, How dreadful is this place? This is none other but the house of God, Bethel, uh, and this is the gate of heaven. Right? So he wakes up, and he's terrified. Do you know that whenever we encounter God, one of the things that's always going to be there is fear. He is a terrible God. He is frightful. He is awesome, you might say. That when we encounter God, we're always going to be afraid. You, you see it with, a, with, with, with Isaiah in, the, in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6, he encounters God and he says, Oh, woe is me. I'm undone. Look at me. <clears throat> and look with me in Revelation chapter 1. The Revelation 1 is interesting because, I'll tell you, this is John. And at the Last Supper, there was a disciple that leaned on Jesus' breast. Right? So they were all sitting around, lying around, and he was the one that was lying in on Jesus. Right? <clears throat> now, he was the disciple. Uh, he says himself, the, 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 the beloved disciple, that John was special amongst all the disciples. He was special, that he was the beloved disciple. And <clears throat> in the book of Revelation, he has a vision of Jesus. And I, I want you to notice how it affects him. Right? <clears throat> Reading from verse 8. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, and which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. I, John, who am also your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and the patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. What thou seest, write in a book, and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, and unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto uh, Philadelphia, uh, and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and bear, being turned, I saw the seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven golden seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man clothed with a garment down to the foot and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. Right, so it's Jesus, one like on the Son of Man. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. 
and his feet like unto fine brass as if they burned in a furnace and his voice as the sound of many waters and he had in his right hand seven stars and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength and when I saw him I fell at his feet as dead and he laid his right hand upon me saying unto me fear not I am the first and the last now that's all we need to read there here's what I want you to catch here's John beloved disciple, leaning on Jesus' breast at the Last Supper. But when he sees Jesus revealed in all his glory, he falls at his feet as though dead. What's the difference? Well, when Jesus walked the earth, he had the glory veiled. When we shall see him, there's nothing in him that we shall desire him. When Jesus walked the earth, he looked just like a man. Everybody thought of him just like a man. But what happens here is, he is revealed in all his glory, and John falls at his feet as though dead. And when we see glory, it creates a reverent fear in us. We don't talk about God as being the man upstairs. We don't talk about God as being the, our buddy. When we see glory, we realize we have encountered the omnipotent God that we have come close to. In times of revival, what happens is the church gets afraid. Dreadful. Terrible. That's what Jacob encounters. Here he is, Jacob, trickster, supplanter, doing his own thing. Now he's all caught up, and he's terrified because he's met with God. You know what? Every one of us could do with a meeting with God like that. That's transforming. That's trans- when you meet God, when you meet him in all his glory and all his power, it changes you. It changes you way down deep. He is terrible. He is awesome. He strikes terror with his glory because we just don't match up. Not at all do we match up. Because he's God and we're not. And so Jacob meets with him. And he is altered by this meeting. And he, he makes God a promise. Right? <clears throat> and Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had put for his pillows and he set it upon a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it. So, <clears throat> you know, what he's doing is he's, 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 um, <clears throat> he's sanctifying this thing. He's setting it apart. By the way, it's interesting. This is the same place, the same Bethel that um, Abraham uh, worshipped at. You know, you, you kind of have to wonder. Are there places in the world where there literally are ladders from heaven uh, to earth? Um, but this is definitely one of them that's going to come up again and again. Bethel, the house of God, uh, in the Bible. And, um, <clears throat> you know, that's where he is. Uh, but, but he consecrates that place. He makes it special. And he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of that city was called Lutz at the first. And Jacob vowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me, and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. So that's the first covenant he's making. He's going to be my God. Now, he's not talking here about believing on the existence of God. 
This is Jacob, son of Isaac, son of Abraham. God's all over the picture for this, this person. What he's doing is he's saying he's going to be my God. Do you realize that everybody in this room has to come to a place where it becomes my God? Not my father's God, not my church's God, my God. Everybody has to make that choice. You, you, come in, you can come into the men's home. <laughs> and it has to come a point in the men's home, you know, where it's, well, this is what we do around the men's home. <clears throat> but there has to come a point where it changes, where this is my God, where you choose. This is my God. And when you choose this as being my God, it's not a case of, you know, you accept the reality of God. When you say he is my God, I'm going to follow him. I'm, I, I'm going to do what he wants. I'm going to real, let him in reality be my God. And it's important that you come to that point. And by the way, it's important that your kids come to that point. And here's the frustrating thing for a parent. You can't make it happen. You can pray. You can long for. You can point them in the right direction. You can sit them in church. But you can't make them choose him as their God. Ultimately, there's a choice to be made. You know, some of you guys in the men's home. Some of you guys are going to make him your God. And wherever you go, he's going to be your God and you're going to follow him. Some of you are going to go through the program and you're going to think, yeah, well, that's what I needed then. But some are going to say, no, he's my God. And he's going to become God. And when you make him your God, then he becomes powerful in your life. But when you play with him and you know, it's just part of the program, it's never going to be big for you. Same is true for the young people in the church. You know, Johnny at some stage will have to make God his God. Dad can pray for it. Dad can seek it. Dad can long for it. But at some stage, Johnny needs to decide, God is my God. The sooner you do it, Johnny, the better. Okay? Uh, the better for you and the less gray hairs your poor dad will have. Uh, but <clears throat> sooner or later, everybody's got to make that decision. And, and parents, here's the problem for us. The problem for us, sometimes it gets scary. Sometimes our kids go through things that we would not want them to go through in order for that to happen. That's what Jacob is doing here. By the way, he didn't have a mobile phone to phone home and say, Mom, you know, it's okay, Mom, everything's going fine, and let me send you a picture. He didn't have a, she didn't hear from him again. There wasn't even a postal service. She didn't hear from him again. She didn't know, so she's at home worrying, and, you know, unless she can trust in God for what he's doing... You know, she's, she's, she's in a bad, bad way. But God needed to get him out from mom and out from dad and out from the security such as it was of his home so that he could deal with them. And listen, that's what all our kids need. One way and another, they need to come to the place where he becomes their God. I can remember the day God became Oriole's God. You know, it just totally transformed his life. You know, he'd always been kind of spiritual, but he was spiritual because that's the way he was raised. But there came a point when he said, no, this is my God. And <clears throat> there was no more priming the pump and pushing him along after that. That was between him and God. And that's what we need. And you can't make that happen for your parents. Guys, listen, that's what each one of you need. You need an encounter with God where you say, he is my God. I am going to follow him. Even if nobody gets me up in the morning to have my devotions, I'm going to have my devotions anyway. Because the problem with the program is you depend upon the program. Somebody else is responsible for it. Even if nobody makes me come to church, I'm going to be in church. Amazes me how many guys, how faithful guys in the man's home can be to church. And as soon as they walk out the door, all the faithfulness falls away. That's amazing how it happens. But you see, at some point, God has got to become their God. At some point, they've got to, they, they've got to make, it, make it theirs. The same for all of us. 
At some point, you've got to make God your God. You've got to put yourself in the place where he becomes your God, and you're following him, and you're serving him. And that's free will. You, you choose that. You choose that. And once you choose that, it's between you and God. Nobody needs to prime the pump anymore. Now you're walking in this relationship with God. <clears throat> and what Jacob is saying is he's saying, okay, if God's going to take care of me, then I'm going to make him my God. Well, you know what? That was a pretty clever decision, wasn't it? That was a pretty wise decision, wasn't he? <laughs> you know, he didn't have to be a brain surgeon to do that. Here he is. He's out on his own. The sandwiches mommy packed him are over now. They're finished. He's two days out from home now, you know. He's, 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 he's passed all that, and he's on his way somewhere he's never been, and he doesn't know. And God says, I'll take care of you, and I'll give you bread to eat as well. That's a good deal. You know what? God gives us better deals than that. God promises to take care of us if we'll make him his God, if we make him our God. God promises that <clears throat> he will be a father to us if we'll make him our God. God promises to take care of everything in our lives if we'll make him our God. Listen, that was just... You know what? Jacob's not the most savory of characters. You know, Jacob is not the... You wouldn't want to be business partners with Jacob. You just wouldn't, you know? You'd never trust him. You'd always be watching. What's he up to now? You know, what, what, what trick is he playing now? You know, uh, you, just, you just wouldn't want, want to be... Uh, a business partner. He's not the most savory of characters, but you know what? He made a wise decision here. He made God his God. He said, if you're going to take care of me, God, then I'm going to make you my God. Think you could decide that tonight? Now, hey, Jacob's not going to be perfect at it. We're going to see him how imperfect he is. We're going to see him fall and flounder and fail. But we're going to see God keep his end up and we're going to see God take him to the place and work him to the place where he's broken. So we're going to see that happen. But he's made a great decision here. You're going to be my God. When did you choose that God would be your God? When did you say, okay, from now on, you are my God. I am going to follow you and I'm going to obey you. You are my God. When did you make that choice? If you didn't, tonight would be a great night for you to make God your God. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> verse 22. And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. All right? Now, <clears throat> we're going to talk about the tenth here for a second, right? And I want, to, I want to assure you that no Baptist pastor actually messed with the Scripture and added that in. In fact, Jacob had never been to a Baptist church in his life. <clears throat> He'd never been to a church in his life. Where did he get this idea of 10%? Where did he get this idea of giving to God? I want you to catch the principle he's working out here, right? <clears throat> if you will take care of me and give me bread and bring me again to my father's house, then I will give you, I will make you my God and I will give you 10%. Well, what is the 10% in Jacob's life doing? The 10% in Jacob's life, by the way, he did it. The 10% in Jacob's life is recognizing, I am depending upon you to give me everything I need and I'm going to recognize that by giving you back 10%. And you know, 
It's impossible for us really to trust God and depend upon him for everything we need and not give back anything. You can't do that. It doesn't work. The the fact that you give 10% is just simply this. It's a recognition. He gave me all of it. And what I'm doing is I'm recognizing that and I'm giving him back 10%. That's just normal and natural. And by the way, believers all through the ages of all kinds of religions have operated on the fact that they've they've given to God. It's just something that's reasonable and real and happens. Now, let me just challenge you with this. Do you really give them 10%? And by the way, I would say 10% would be a starting point. Do you really give them 10%? You say, well, no, I haven't got much. I've only got a few euros every week and I don't have anything to give. Hang on a minute. If you've got one euro, 10% of one euro is 10 cents. You can give them that. You say, well, what good is that going to do? It's not about what good it's going to do. God doesn't need your money. It's not about that. It's about you recognizing, Lord, you gave me a euro. And I'm giving you something back. I'm recognizing that it came from your hand. And I'm giving you something back. If you get 100 euros, then 10 euros belongs to God. If you get 1,000 euros, then 100 euros belongs to God. Wherever you are blessed, the Bible says, you know, listen, 10% of it belongs to God. You know, sometimes we think, you know, well, that's in my wages. No, it's in everything. um, Everything that the Lord prospers you in, you give back to God. That's just the way it is. That's just recognizing His right in your life. Because he's your God. And he takes care of you. You know what? If you don't give the 10% to him, I'm I'm going to throw something at you that you're not going to like. I wonder, is he really your God? I wonder, is he really, are you really depending upon him to take care of you? If you don't give anything back? Or is there some other God in your life taking care of you? Is it maybe the job? Maybe the welfare system? Is it, you know, somebody who gives to you, but there really is no God involved in it? Because you're missing it. Every good gift comes down from the Father of lights. Every blessing in your life comes down from Him. And when you recognize that He's your God, and He's taking care of you, and He's meeting your needs in your life, you know what? Giving back to Him becomes a normal outflow of the relationship. It's just normal. It's not a tax. You know, it's not a tax. It's not, you know, where somebody demands it of you. It's just the normal outflow of your relationship with him. You know, if I was to add up all the money I've given the Lord over the years, it would be a packet of money. But you know what I would say to you? I couldn't afford not to give it. I really couldn't. Because he's my God. And he's taking care of me. And all that I have... I have from his hand. So recognizing and giving back is just part of the relationship. So let me encourage you. This, this, this issue of tithing is not something the Baptist church dreamt up. Right? It's not something the pastor dreamt up for, you know, how to, how to keep the building going and pay the mortgage and so on. It's the principle of the people of God, Old and New Testament, and before the Old Testament, it's always been the principle of God's people. And when we actually make him our God, it becomes normal. It becomes natural for us to actually give him 10%. You know, 
And again, let me, let me say this to you. There's one of the areas God tells you to test him out in. Try him out in it. Try him out in it. Give him 10% and see what he will do. He says, test me. See if I won't open the heavens and pour out a blessing upon you. You know, if there was one financial principle and one only that I could give you, and there are lots in the Bible, right? <clears throat> but if there were one, I would give you this. I would say, give God 10%. Watch what happens. Now, there are others that you need to, need to apply. Don't just apply that one, you know, <coughs> recklessly and without actually looking at it. But, but apply that one and um, look to God for your finance. Then you'd be amazed what God can do with your finance. But if you, if you won't, bite the bullet on that one and say, Lord, I'm going to give you 10%. What you're going to find is you're going to find you're going to struggle financially. There is no, there is no financial freedom apart from tithing. It, it just doesn't happen. You know, and it's not like God is punitively making us pay because we're not giving. I, 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 sometimes we look at it like that. No, no, what happens is you're switching off the blessing in your life when you won't tithe. So be careful with your tithe. <clears throat> be careful that you give it regularly and that you give it faithfully and make it number one uh, with God. <clears throat> but anyway, here's, here's Jacob, right? <clears throat> And Jacob makes this great promise to God. Uh, he takes God as his God, and he promises God that he will tithe. And now he's a different man. He's changed. Now, he's not perfect. He's going to meet Uncle Laban, and Uncle Laban is just made out of the same cloth as Jacob was. <clears throat> By the way, do you think that Uncle Laban, we'll look at it uh, <clears throat> next week, do you think that Uncle Laban might have been God's appointed person for Jacob? Do you think that God was, was, was having Jacob meet himself in Laban? Do you think that Jacob maybe looked at Laban sometimes and thought, he's crooked. He's very like me. Because that's what exactly happened. God, God set him up. God set him up to go <clears throat> to Uncle Laban. But he's met with God. And though he's still crooked, and though he's still tricking people, and though he's still <clears throat> twisted, you know what? God has now taking up residence in his life. And we're going to see him go back and forth and back and forth, but we're going to see God step in at the book Jabbok and deal with Jacob in such a way that Jacob, for the rest of his life, can't get away from the fact that he's God's man, that God has put his hand upon him. <clears throat> but here's the thing. Let me just close by, by saying this. First of all, parents, understand this. At some point... Every child has to make him their God. Every young man, every young woman has to make him their God. God will not allow somebody twist your arm and make it happen. It doesn't happen like that. You've got to make him your God. It's very wise to make him your God. Because he takes care of us. He takes care of us better than we can take care of ourselves. It's very wise for us to make, us, make him our God. And when we make him our God, we're going to enter into a relationship with him. And there's going to be a giving and a taking in that relationship. And we're going to give to him. We're going to give our time. We're going to give our energy. We're going to give our money. That's the reality because he's our God. That's just the way it works. And what we're going to find is we're going to find a relationship and a life springs from all of this. Now, <clears throat> we're not studying Esau. We're just glancing off Esau as we go. But you know what? 
Esau's a bitter man. Esau's taken a different path. Esau has not chosen to make God his God. Esau has chosen to make himself his God. And he's going to live with that reality. He's going to do things that are just not good for him. And the reason he's going to do these things that are not good for him is because he's bitter. What he's done is Esau has bought into bondage for his life. And as much as Jacob has troubles, what he's done here is he's bought into freedom. So which do you want to be? Do you want to make him your God? Do you want to put him in the first place in your life? Or do you want to be like Esau? And want to show yourself? And have a life that really counts for nothing? Which do you want to be? God puts the choice fairly and squarely in your hands. If you've not made him your God, make him your God tonight. You say, how do I do that? Just say, Lord, I am taking you as my God. And I'm going to follow you. I'm not perfect. I don't expect you to be perfect, Lord, but you're my God. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to make him your God tonight. <clears throat> Choose him. Put him first in your life, and you'll be amazed at what he works out in your life. Let's stand for prayer. Father in heaven, we come to you tonight, and we do thank you, Lord, for your word to us. And we ask your blessing now. Lord, would you deal with hearts and lives? Lord, may we not let a moment pass in our lives. But Lord, where you've confronted someone, would you touch them and cause them to respond? And oh Lord, may we be wise and make you our God. In Jesus' name.